Welcome to the Symphony Podcast. Today we've got a special episode with a guest, Willis Allen. Willis and Matthew are friends from college and you guys traveled to Guatemala together. And the general theme of this conversation is going to be around how traveling leads to growth, some of the, the uh, lessons and stories along the way on your guys' journey. And um, yeah, I'm just really excited to, to hear more about it and to create a little space for some storytelling time. So welcome to the show, Willis. Thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here on the Symphony Podcast. You're rolling, baby. <laughs> yes, sir. So let's start it off with why you guys wanted to travel. You took a full year and went to Guatemala. So what was the the logic and what were you hoping to get out of it? Well, it honestly... <laughs> so it, we ended up working at an orphanage that my my family's been connected with since I was, since I was pretty young. Uh, we had an opportunity to go there when I was like 11 years old and my family took me there and we ended up um, hanging out there, meeting a bunch of the kids, kind of going and to their different classes and all their activities during the week. And then ultimately like building a playground there on the campus as well. So I got to do that when I was 11. And then my parents stayed in, in contact with a bunch of the kids, specifically two of them ended up sponsoring them and um, planning trips kind of back and forth over the years. So we were like very well connected with this orphanage and, and they have a year long volunteer program that they open up to um, just young people. I mean, not even young people, kind of people of all ages, but it's a year long program where you fill a position within the orphanage. And so going into my senior year of college and Willis and I went to school together, we both went to Chapman and lived together for three of those four years, had a blast. Um, so at the going into senior year, I, I think Willis also did, had jobs lined up for when we graduated. And so that senior year was just kind of like, it felt good because we knew that we had somewhere where we were, you know, jumping into right after we graduated. But in like September or very early on in the school year, we ended up just kind of, we threw in applications to do that year long program as well, just kind of as like a, uh, whatever, like the application is not that long, might as well just throw it in and see what happens. Didn't hear anything back for months, like months and months and months, all the way up until a, like a few weeks before graduation. And then I remember so specifically the day that we got our acceptance letters because back when I threw in the application too, I think Willis and I had a conversation and we were just like, do you want to do this together? And <laughs> so we just both put applications in. And then about a couple of weeks before graduation, we both got the acceptance letters. And then, you know, Willis and I had to have a conversation after that. But And I can kind of let Willis go into that a little bit. But for me personally, I think it was the decision ultimately came down to me not quite wanting to just jump right into the corporate world but also not having a full idea of what that would look like if I if I didn't jump into the corporate world. And so this looked like a good opportunity to just completely shake things up and go do something that's kind of off the walls in a lot of regards, just to kind of like see what that brought to my life and see if it brought any more clarity to where my mind was at at that time and like what I wanted to get involved with and kind of how I wanted to go on and do a journey of my own. But at the time, I didn't know what that was. And Guatemala seemed like the, the best choice out of them. So I can let Willis speak on his, his experience leading up to it as well. Yeah, I, th I mean, I think for me, as Matt kind of touched on, um, it was one of those things as to where, you know, we, we had a few jobs lined up and whatnot, um, you know, for after, uh, after school. But I mean, there was nothing that really, really like caught my eye and excited me. And, uh, and nothing, I guess, that really made me feel like I was going to grow a ton as a person. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd had internships before I'd had nine to fives, you know, working in an office, working in a cube. And it just, the, I guess the lifestyle didn't really seem that genuine to me. And I had this like deep urge within me to find something deeper to find, I guess, I don't know, a deeper meaning with, with life and just in general. Um, and so it was kind of the same thing as to where, I knew I didn't want to go immediately into the corporate world. Um, I mean, you got years and years to do that, especially after college. You know, it's like one of those things I, I wanted to find myself a little bit, find out what I guess what life's about, you know. Um, and I, I didn't even I didn't even know much about Guatemala, like before Matt kind of brought it up. And I remember Matt bringing it up to me. He's like, oh, yeah, like, by the way, you know. Um, my family, like we adopted a Cinto, all that kind of stuff, you know, like we could possibly go down to the orphanage and volunteer for a year. And I remember at first when I heard about it, I was just kind of like, 
something kind of struck within me. I got a little bit tickled, like, you know, and I was like, mm. I felt that little, uh, I don't know, that little spark, you know, when you feel something that feels kind of good and it just, it sparks that like creativity in your head. I got that 100%. And it was one of those things. It was kind of cool too, because we got to apply and I didn't have to, you know, make a decision on that day or anything like that. But the more I kind of let it marinate and thought about it more and more, I mean, the, the more it grew on me and the more I realized by the time that we got our, our applications back and we were accepted, I knew hundred percent I was going to Guatemala. Um, and I mean, I think that was kind of, kind of an interesting thing too. Um, because I think my, I don't know, my parents are a little bit different in some ways and, you know, my, my dad's very kind of out there, do your own thing, like liberal. And my mom's very like, this is the path that you have to take, that you have to follow through life and stuff like that. And I remember I was like, kind of scared to tell, to tell my mom, you know, out of college, like, yeah, I'm going down to Guatemala for a year. And I remember I told her at first and she's like, she's like, Guatemala? Like, why the <laughs> fuck are you going down to Guatemala? I'm sorry. I'm not. <laughs> you good. Um, but she's like, Guatemala, why are you, why on the world are you going to Guatemala? You know, like it's a third world country, you know, like the, the death rate there is ridiculously high. I mean, the murder rate is one of the, one of the highest in the world actually, you know, and she was, she just couldn't get it through her head why I'd want to go down there, you know? And it was one of those things as to where it was, I just, I needed something to challenge me as a person and bring me out of my small little orange County bubble worldview to, to challenge that. And hopefully I was hoping that I would gleam some type of insight that would make me grow as a person. And I mean, I, I, I got that and a lot more when I went down there for sure. Very well said. And I, I think it's notable. The intention that you had was more towards how can you grow as a human being come out of coming out of college rather than maybe just like jump into a, a more certain path with a little more security. And um, so what you guys got down there, what was the initial reaction? Like just getting settled in, was it an easy transition? Was <laughs> well, it pretty eye opening? We kind of had multiple transitions in a way. And I, like, I feel like we were on such a high of like senior year, you know, graduation, you're not doing much schoolwork at that point. Like, it's just fun. You're around all your friends. And like Willis and I were the ones that were like going off and doing something different. So there's all that like, yeah, like this is so cool. This is going to be such a life-giving experience. And then from like that to, you know, less than two weeks later, uh, getting dropped off, it, like like landing in, in the Guatemalan airport and immediately having logistical issues with our, with our pickup who was like four hours late and Did the plane came the plane in late. In? The plane, the plane landed in a different place. The plan, the plane landed in San Salvador because there was too much turbulence to land in Guatemala at the time. And so we end up like going to someplace different, being on the plane and just sitting there for hours until we can take back off, knowing that we had like scheduled a pickup with somebody who didn't speak English. Just, we set it up through the computer, I think. So kind of being like, this is a long shot that they're going to, they're not going to know that we, that we're here and we're not ready to be picked up when we were, when we were supposed to land. So it was just like stressful from the get go. But then um, we finally made it. So made it to the school that we were going to be at for two weeks before we went to the orphanage. And so the school itself is in this town called Antigua and Antigua is awesome. It is like one of the coolest cities I've ever spent time in. I've been back since actually, I went last year for like a little over a month just to be there and hang out and, and work from because I could work from wherever. So I just went and spent time there because I loved it so much. And it's very cultural and there's a lot of tourists coming through and it's just upbeat and, and uh, it's just, it's an awesome town. And so that's where the, the Spanish school was. And so that was our first integration was Willis and I had eight hours of Spanish lessons a day for two weeks straight to basically just do a full immersion into Ooh. going from like very ground level, almost nothing to, you know, what, what is hopefully passable by the end of those two weeks to kind of like start, you know, <laughs> being of some value at the orphanage. But so the, the way that, that those classes were set up was, was pretty interesting. You're living in like this little commune area where there's, cause you're living at the school as well. So there's like rooms in the back and then there's a courtyard and then you have like outdoor classrooms in the, in the front area of it basically where you sit with a one-on-one -on -one teacher for literally eight hours a day. And those first four hours are like grammar and uh, vocab and just very, you know, notebook style 
stuff. And then the second four hours of those classes were literally full conversational. So the, so like my, my teacher was, um, well, you had two different teachers for the first and the second half, but I mean, most of them don't know any English. And so that second four hours where you have to be completely conversational, she just looks at you and she's like, okay, like, what are we going to talk about today? And then you kind of just have to drive the conversation and figure out how to say stuff. And she would slide you an English to Spanish dictionary. If you didn't know how to say things, just basically kind of dropping you in the pool and being like, you got to learn this stuff. Um, but it was, it was, it was fun. And we, we kind of got close to our teachers and, and Willis and I were getting to kick it every single day and kind of explore the town. And um, just, yeah, it was just kind of fun. And, and then <laughs> one of the fun activities also that we would get to do on a, on a good day was we would get to play Scrabble in Spanish. So that was like our reward if we had a good week or a good couple of days of Spanish class was was that we would get to play Scrabble together for the last like hour of classes. So that's when Willis and I actually got to interact a little bit during the during the school day. Um, but yeah, before I start just like rambling, I just want to like make a note just so we can go to that next of, of just saying that there were two transitions because transitioning to the English school or the Spanish school in Antigua was one thing. But then transitioning from that school to the orphanage was a completely other thing. Um, but yeah, I can let Willis riff for a second, talk about his experience at the language school. Cause yeah. I know that was very like eye opening at the beginning. I think, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Um, as somebody who's taken Spanish pretty much my whole life living in Southern California, I understood the utility of it. I understood that it's nice to be able to speak Spanish because there's so many, um, you know, people of that origin who, who live here, you know, and I just, it was one of those things as to where, you know, you study it in high school, but I studied it enough to get the A on the test or whatever, but I, I couldn't actually speak it. I couldn't, I didn't know what I was doing, right? I mean, I could pick up on a word here and there, but it was crazy. Right when we landed in Guatemala, we, Matt kind of talked about the detour that we had on the plane. You know, there's people on the plane screaming, ay Dios mio, like thought they were literally going to die from the, the turbulence we were experiencing. You know, it was crazy. And then, like you said, we showed up late and we finally, we got to Antigua. And for me, at least, um, it was, I mean, it was really scary at first because it was like, I didn't speak a lick of Spanish, right? And I just felt like this, like, I stick out like a sore thumb, you know, because I'm like this big, tall, I don't know if Matt told you, but everyone in Guatemala is about, you know, five, 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 six. I'm like, like <laughs> tall, like not, I'm not that tall. I'm like, you know, six, one, but I'm sticking out like way above everyone. Like I just stick out like a sore thumb. I'm like, I might as well be wearing a target that says mug me, you know, like, but and that was Bingo. the funniest thing that I realized too when I got to Antigua. I Antigua is this really weird town with these cobblestone streets. I mean, not weird, but just just so much different in a sense than the U.S. as to where everything's kind of on the inside and you can't see much. So there's everything's barred up. Uh, there's gates over everything. And I remember I got there and I stepped out onto the street in Antigua. And I was a little bit scared. I literally, you know, because of everything I'd read online, all these, you know, you go on the U.S. Department of, you know, tra I don't even know exactly what it's called, but they tell you all these things about like, oh, this is a red zone. You shouldn't be going outside at night and all this kind of stuff. And I didn't speak any Spanish, so I was a little bit kind of taken aback. And I definitely got that kind of like fight or flight moment, you know? as to where it was like, oh, dude, like, you're here now. Like, you you just committed to come down here for a year. Like, so you got to either step up or you can go home right now. And for me, I mean, it was, it was kind of a no-brainer. It was like, yeah, obviously I'm going to step up. I got one of my good buddies here with me, you know, like. Um, but, yeah, Matt, like Matt said, it was just – it was one of those things. It was, it was tough because – I didn't know much Spanish and you literally had to drive the conversation on your own. The guy would slide the dictionary to you. But I also realized too, that unless you completely immerse yourself in something, it, it's so much harder to learn, you know, because when I was studying Spanish for 30 minutes a day or whatever, reading it from the book, just memorizing the vocab, it's so much different than speaking conversational Spanish with somebody and being able to think on your feet immediately. And that, that point when you get to where you're, you're not even translating in your head, you're just understanding the Spanish word for what it is and not have to translate it to the English word. That's when you know that you're like kind of making some progress. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess in terms of transition, it was just, it was one of those things as to where it was like, 
for me at least, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, what, what have I gotten into? You know, like I didn't realize how like the severity or how serious this situation is, you know, like I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm going to do something to make me grow as a person and all this kind of stuff. And I didn't even, I didn't even realize like how much I was going to be growing. And I think those first two weeks I actually realized like, wow, like you, it just smacked you in the face. Like, because it was a different person after this year, you know? Right. And just kind of what I noted before of like feeling that high of going, going from graduation, going from that excitement to being there and kind of like facing that and thinking to yourself, I, I made this decision. I put myself here and I have to do exactly, you, you have to immerse yourself. You have to just dive in and just, you know, kind of trust the process a little bit. But that feeling when it's just you and you don't have all the supporters who were so rah-rah like a couple of weeks ago telling you how expansive of a, of a like experience that this is going to be for you you don't realize how much you're kind of riding on the coattails of that until you're sitting there and it is just you and you have those thoughts going through your head and you really have to mentally push yourself to be, to, to dive in the pool, to just like get there and be there and, and just to kind of be along for the ride and, and, you know, face whatever it's going to bring. But I think from, from Spanish school to the orphanage, I think I, I more had that moment when I got to the orphanage because like I had been to Antigua before like I kind of knew I had a little bit of background. I knew relatively like what we were getting ourselves into. And then after those two weeks of Spanish classes, I was like, oh, okay, like I can, <laughs> I can communicate pretty relatively well. Like I think I can get by, but then you get to the orphanage and you realize that your Spanish instructors from the, from the Spanish school were speaking at about like 10% speed of what it actually is like in, in day-to-day conversational Spanish and slang and like talking to little kids and having like a, 20 of them running around you constantly like pointing at you and saying things and like asking you questions and you not knowing how to respond. And you literally just walking around like a big white doofus just being like, ah, and that was, <laughs> that was something that was tough for me too, because I think it's like, it was a realization that smacked me in the face of how much of our personalities come across by the way that we're able to express ourselves. And like, that's such an obvious thing to say, but you don't feel that until you can't express yourself and then, so you feel like you're, you're missing a huge piece of who you are because you can't be who you are because you can't communicate. And so it really throws you on this mental loop of just being like, wow, I, I, I don't, I don't know what to do here. Like, this is not going to become better until like I can comfortably have some type of grasp of this language. And so at that point, it was just kind of about like, doing the work and trying to get better at Spanish and, and picking up on little tips and tricks here and there. And like, being able to form a ton of sentences around like a handful of verbs at first and then just kind of learning from the kids around you and hearing how they talk and adding little things into your vocab and then also Spanish music listening to Spanish music is a good way to to add to your vocabulary and get like a little bit of um conversational flow in terms of like how words are used together and and all that good stuff but now I feel like I'm kind of rambling off subject but the the transition from the no, language school to the orphanage was huge for me. Yeah, well, let's keep going down that path. I just wanted to say two quick things. One, Willis, when you're uh, talking about your experience in Spanish class in high school, I had the same thing. Like I would study the vocab and then just wash it right out of my brain because I didn't care at all. I had no real purpose of learning it. It was like, this is a required class. You just need to get it so you can like you know, just pass the class and move on. And uh, my girlfriend's Mexican. I was telling you guys before we started recording, I just spent four months down there living in Mexico. And uh, I'll tell you when you have a romantic partner who's speaks Spanish primarily, like, A, you learn, you know, you get a purpose behind why you need to learn Spanish and living there. Um, And then to Matthew's point, um, like actually immersing yourself is definitely like the only way to like truly learn it. Like you're not going to be able to sit in class in the U S and then walk down to Guatemala and start communicating with people normally. But um, I I do appreciate your guys willingness to just be uncomfortable and just go into that experience, not knowing what was going to happen. Maybe having uh, sounds like some moments where you're just like, Oh shit. I had that same experience going to Indiana for college. So I can, can't even imagine (laughs) what what that was like, you know, going to Guatemala, you know, in a completely different country. Um, but yeah, I want to hear more about how what you guys were doing at the orphanage and how your 
maybe your perspectives shifted in some way about yourself, Matthew, I think you may have also made a good point while I'm, I'm ranting now, but your point on how you can't express yourself as well and how that can be super frustrating. Um, that's like a really interesting point, especially if English is your second language and you're in the US, you're trying to be yourself, but it's super difficult. I felt that a ton because I'd be hanging out at dinner with like four people speaking Spanish. No one speaks any English except for my girlfriend. And I'm like, I want to have fun. They're making jokes and laughing, but I, I, it's like, I don't know what they're saying, you know? So, oh yeah, there was so much, be... there was so much for not even forced, but just like in conversations, if you're in a group for those first couple of months that we were there, it's like, if they're laughing, I'm laughing. Like, I, yeah. oh yeah, I, I got that joke. I know what you guys are talking about, but uh, it's just funny. I, and I feel like that was even, you know, um, there was more emphasis on that because we were dropped into positions of authority pretty much immediately mm. and kind of, you know, guidance figures over 20 to 30 kids at a time. Like for me, I was dropped in, I, I was an English teacher for the Montessori school, which was equivalent to basically like kindergarten through second grade. So on day, day two of being at the orphanage, I, I get handed a schedule of the English classes that I was supposed to teach the following day. And I, you know, I had no experience teaching in a, in a classroom setting. Like I had a little bit of experience teaching cause I used to be a piano teacher, <laughs> but I had no experience teaching any type of schoolwork and definitely not any experience teaching in Spanish to, you know, young, young children. And so those first couple of weeks are just absolutely hectic because I mean, just trying to get, you know, 15 first grade students to sit still during anything is close to impossible. And so, and then once they realize that you don't have any type of grip on the language, oh my God, dude, like you, you don't understand how terrified you can be of second grade children when they're, <laughs> when they're just causing a ruckus in class and literally like rocketing all over the place and like wrestling each other and just, you know, stuff that kids do. And especially stuff that kids do when they realize that the adult in the authority position really has no no control over the situation. And so that was, it was such a learning curve for me. And it was, but it made me, it made me kind of uh, have to figure it out on the fly, which I think added a ton of skills to my, like, whatever, just because, so what I would start to do is I would basically write a script for myself the night before. And just so that way I could at least have some level of structure to the class at the so I would literally <laughs> I would essentially be reading off of a script for the first couple of weeks of just being like okay this is the, these are kind of the things I want to go over today uh, here's a few different responses to questions that I could possibly foresee happening here's a couple of ways to like find some organ organization in the room provide some structure tell people to be quiet tell people to get out there like sit at their desks tell people to work in groups of whatever so just finding those little pieces of of like sentences that I could start plugging in on a day-to-day -day basis and just really building from that place of like incremental progress and just anything that I could do to get by until it was going to get to a place where it became a little bit more comfortable, which it ultimately did. But I think that really forced me to learn the concept of like taking a beginner's mindset to any type of problem. Um, in this situation, we had no choice, but I think just in life in general, it's important to have those skills where you can go at something from literally ground zero and know that if you keep putting one foot in front of the other, you're, you're going to get to a place where you become comfortable with it and you're, you know, miles ahead of where you, where you started from. So that was that experience and the first couple of weeks of trying to teach a, an English class to, to the youngins was definitely a mind opening experience to say the least. Yeah. Um, kind of, kind of going off the back of that. Um, it was just, it was, it was crazy when, when we got there the first few weeks, I mean, he was in charge. Uh, he got put with the, the section of kids, maybe a few years younger than I did. And so basically how it worked was you would do your job during the day, but you would also have a section of children that you watched out for. Basically during the nighttime, you would go down a section, you would help them out with their homework, play games with them, keep them entertained, all that kind of stuff, keep them out of trouble, basically, right? So I, speaking, you know, very, very limited Spanish after two weeks or whatever, I got 
uh, put in charge of the the boys section that was ages basically 14 to 18, right? And I mean, Ooh. I don't know if you guys can remember Trouble. how you were at that age. Trouble. I was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was not, not great. And honestly, I think it, it just all came back. It came full circle. And, you know, it's like, it's funny because I was, I was terrible at that age. And these kids, I mean... I literally remember the. I don't know if, if I'm allowed to tell this story on the on the podcast, but I literally remember the tell it. the first night, the first night when I went in a section. You know, I'm sitting there like they're all introducing themselves to me and all this kind of stuff, and I'm kind of like ha ha smiling, laughing, yeah yeah, see see see, you know, like barely getting by or whatever. One of the kids taps me on the back and tells me to look around. So I turn around, I look around, and I kid you not, it's this kid named Jaime. And he's got no clothes on. He, he's hanging his whole thing out right here. And everyone just starts dying laughing at me. Even even, <laughs> even the older workers who were part of Nuestros Pequeños Hermanos where we were. Like 30-year-old men were laughing at me. And it was just – it was one of those moments. You know, we talked a little bit about feeling uncomfortable and it making you grow. It was one of those things as to where I literally was like, what is going on here? You know, like I was, I was not <laughs> expecting at all. Like this is an orphanage, you know, like you're not really expecting to walk into that kind of thing, you know. And, but it's like it was funny, too, though, because like once I did kind of start to to uh, to learn a little bit more of conversational Spanish and stuff like that, it was like it was one of those things as to where we laughed about it all the time, you know, and they were like they had told me they were like, oh, like I can't even I can't even believe that like you took that so cool when you came in here, you know, we were just screwing with you and all that kind of stuff, kind of testing you, you know, but it was for sure one of those things that uh, that definitely kind of made me feel out of my comfort zone, you know, um, <laughs> and then talking a little bit more, I guess, about what we were doing at the orphanage, I, I started working too, and we talk about that kind of language barrier literally in class one time I'm sitting there and one of the kids from my sections messing with me the whole time, like just talking while I'm trying to teach this lesson and stuff. And I've got an unbelievable amount of respect for teachers now because I was never really good in the classroom either, but this taught me to be good in the classroom. And I'm just trying to get this kid to be quiet. And finally he just keeps on, keeps on rambling. And, and so I said, Shombre, Brian, Shombre. And I didn't really know what that means. It was one of those lingo kind of slang terms I picked up in my section of kids and stuff like that. And the whole class, whole class goes quiet. It just gets dead silent. I mean, you can literally hear crickets in this room. And I'm sitting there like, oh, no. Like, I don't know what I did, <laughs> but I know it's bad. Literally, the, the teacher was still in there. And he looked at me like, oh, he's like freaking out, right? And I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do? Yeah. What did I do? So, like. I get out of that class. Everyone's kind of laughing at me for the rest of the class. I get out to that class. The principal pulls me over. He's like, come o- come over here. Like, I need to talk to you, blah, blah, I'm, I'm under- He's like lecturing me. I can understand that from his body language, his tonality, all that kind of stuff. But I still was probably only picking up maybe 50, 60% of what he was saying, right? And so I go down. I talk to one of the other Americans that was there at the orphanage. I'm like, hey, what does Shombre mean? Like, what? <laughs> what did I even do? Like, why is everyone so mad at me or whatever? And so basically, this is, and keep in mind, this is the class of third graders that I'm talking to when I said this. Shombre apparently means in, in Guatemalan slang, it means shut the beep up. So I basically told this whole class, this you know, 20, 20 kids who were like eight years old to shut that F up, you know, like in front of them and their teachers. So it was just one of those things. It's like you you realize when you go to a different country like that, like, it's just inevitable that you're going to feel uncomfortable. You know, I mean, there's, there's certain situations that, I mean, I guess I probably could have like gotten out of that situation by just not saying that in the first place, but I didn't even know what it meant, you know? So it's like, there's times in Guatemala and there's times in life where you're going to feel uncomfortable no matter what. And it's just a matter of how, how you react to those and how you see those. I think that that kind of uh, is a barrier of whether or not you make, make the best of it or you, you sink, you know? I think that too, just in life, the ability to like laugh at yourself is yeah. hugely important. And I think we definitely, I mean, we didn't really have a choice for, <laughs> for that first little spout in Guatemala. Like that was pretty consistent. Like if we, if we did not have the ability to laugh at ourselves, that would have been absolutely miserable, like absolutely miserable. And it would have, it would have just bruised your ego and you would have been sad and you would have soaked around all the time, been thinking about what you're missing out on at home all the comfortabilities of home, like all of that stuff. But instead, it's just like like we talked about earlier, just jump in, be able to laugh at yourself and just kind of learn on the well, fly and do whatever you can. 
Also, too, I think it's important to highlight that there were those days where I would be oh, like, yeah. oh, my oh, gosh, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. I am depressed right now. Like, I'm in this country. I can't even really call my family, like, unless I'm, like, in Wi-Fi, which there's never Wi-Fi where you want it to be there. Um, you know, and it's, like, it was one of those things as to where it was, like, yeah, dude, there were times where it was hard, man. And I was literally, like, okay, I got to go home. Like, what the hell am I doing? Like, I'm seeing all my friends, you know, back in the United States having so much fun, you know. I'm sitting there scrolling on Instagram and it's a lot more glorious than living in this, you know, shack basically that we're living in, in, in Guatemala and, you know, getting screwed, like getting kind of yelled at by these, like these younger kids, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it was just like one of those moments sometimes where it was like, what am I doing? You know, but I think there was, it was really cool pushing through that. And I think that's when you really got the growth is when you were able to push through those tough times. Like, no, you know what? I'm just going to wake up. I'm going to do it again tomorrow. And those were usually, those were usually the times that I would feel like I connected with somebody on a deeper level, or I, or I really understood their culture on a deeper level. It was those days where I pushed through it kind of regardless, you know, I guess I equate it to water polo and nobody wants to get up and swim at six in the morning. Right. But if you want to be good, it's something that you do regardless. You know, it's kind of like that in life sometimes as to where it's like, there's going to be stuff that sucks sometimes and you're not going to want to do it. It's, it's, it's up to you, like what you make of it, you know? Yeah. I love that you commented on the pushing, pushing through those days. And that's where the growth came to. Cause I think that that's a huge, huge point. And I think, just as like a tangible example of our time in Guatemala, it was like we had to take those like verbal beatings, though that like embarrassment and just like sit through it because especially at the orphanage, like the way that it worked is like that banter between all the boys and like just shitting on people, like making fun of people. Like that's just how the kids that age talk to each other. That's just their banter. And so and the way that you gain respect is your ability to take it and then be able to give it back as well. And so, but like, we're not able, to, we wouldn't be able to participate in that banter unless we literally sat through it and sat through it and sat through it and listened to the different iterations of how you can talk shit to people and how you can like participate in this banter. But then it's like, finally we did. And then when we could just kind of participate in it, that's when that bond formed. And that's when like, they kind of accept you into their culture. And then that's when you start to realize the small nuances of the kids' personalities and then you get to connect with them deeper because you can also joke, you can joke with them and then you can also go deeper and talk about, you know, family and like values and important stuff and like what they want to do with their life and then just get into those deeper, deeper conversations. And I think that's another cool point just to talk, just to mention that like, I think humor is a great entry level or like a great entry point for deeper connections and uh, deeper conversations down the road. And I think we experienced that a lot with, uh, and it was hard not to take it personally at first too, because it's like these little kids just pointing at you and saying these like really mean things. And not that we ever like gave it back in a way that was like ever actually mean, but you know, at first it was just like hard and confusing and you're just like, Oh my God, these kids hate me. But really they're just like giving you an opportunity to hopefully kind of like, give it back and just shoot them back a little razz and I don't know, just add to that banter that ultimately flows into respect and friendship in their mind. So that was kind of a cool experience as well. I love it. I love it. I think sports growing up playing sports for me probably exposed me to a little bit of the ability to give it and take it and have banter and just like having competitive friends. I mean, even video games, like just talking shit and, Everyone knows it's all in good humor. Um, I, I really enjoy the the Latin cultures in general. The Mexican culture is just so warm. They're so welcoming. If you just, if you really, like you said, if you just make like one joke or if you just smile and look someone in the eye and be attentive, it's like you don't really have to say anything profound like just to like show that you care. I had a conversation with a guy in a hostel in like France or it was in Portugal actually one time and he said, the smile is universal, basically. Like no matter where you go in the world, if someone says something to you or you need something from somebody, you might not be able to communicate to them. But if you give them, like you can, through body language and also just the energy and intention that you bring to conversations, like you can really communicate a lot without without any language at all. Um, but yeah, yeah, I want to hear about how you guys, like 
I, I want to hear more about some of the stories about Guatemala, but also um, like what you, how it changed you coming back. Because I think it's so, it's common to use travel for growth. I've talked about that um, with a lot of different people, like maybe taking a two week trip or a week trip and doing a mission trip and coming back and you've got this energy that you want to bring back to your life. Maybe you want to make a change in your habits or you want to take a different direction with your time and energy or whatever, treat people differently. There's so many different like uh, reflections in time to like think about your quote unquote, like normal life back in the U S um, but you asked, you guys spent a year down there. So I'm sure you felt that on like a massive level and maybe actually had the chance to make some positive changes in your life. It sounds like uh, from what both you guys are telling me that it had a huge positive impact on you. So I want to hear more about like, what impact it actually had on you spending the time there. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, Willis, you want to take that one? Yeah, go for it. Sure. I mean, I can just kind of name a few things, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was weird, right? Because we had culture shock when we got down there, right? And you always hear about culture shock when you're traveling to a, a new country and that's known. But you never really hear about the reverse culture shock when you're going back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you don't get that if you're on, you know, a two-week trip or something like that. But Matt and I were down there for 13 months, right? So, I mean, we were so – we had ingratiated ourselves into that culture. Like, when I got down there at first, there were a few things where I was like, this is so weird, right? And then my mind – it's weird how the mind works, but, I mean, it just be, it became normal to me, right? And that, that way of life just became normal. And at first, where, where there were parts where I was like, oh, gosh, this is just – this is so – this is so weird or why do they do it this way? I remember this one time they were lighting these lanterns outside and like a bush almost caught on fire. Everything just seems so much more dangerous down there and all this kind of stuff, <laughs> but it became normal. Right. And it, I, I think it, it made me realize just the power of, of perception and, and what you can do with an open mind. Right. Because it's like, there's so many things down there where it's like, we think, you know, Oh, that's a time waster or whatever the heck it may be. But Really, for them, that's that's just the way things work. They prioritize relationships over getting things done, really. So sometimes I would get so upset because I would be like, oh, my God, this guy was supposed to have a meeting with me at 3, and it's literally 4.15 right now, and he is nowhere to be found. You know, like people would ghost you like that or whatever. And and then you you realize, like, no, it's because basically what's prioritized is is connection there in that culture. I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling. I'm here and there a little bit. No, you're um, right on, dude. But uh, I guess in terms of in terms of just what it gave me, um, without trying to sound too like preachy, I guess it just kind of gave me this this sense of like of altruism and just just realizing that like giving back to the world not only is beneficial to everyone who lives in the world, but that's what built me up. Whenever I was struggling down in Guatemala, whenever I had those hard days I told you about, or those days where I was like, I got to go back home, it would always be something so little, like as simple as me connecting with a kid or like, or going outside and playing with a kid and seeing that smile on their face and all that kind of stuff. And just realizing like, wow, like life is so much deeper than all of the all of the surface level crap that we have in our day-to-day lives. Like life is about human connection. And that is at least in my mind. And um, that was definitely one of the things that I gleaned from there. Um, I mean, multiple, multiple other things. I've kind of scatterbrained a little bit right now about it, but I mean, I think that was, that was the number one thing for me. Yeah. And before we started recording, I think Willis, you mentioned bringing, or not bringing this attitude of like, what is right? What is the right things to do? Like from an American perspective, like going down to Guatemala and being like, wait, so why is there a big line at the ATM? Or like, why do I have to wait for like, whatever? Like, can we just like order it on the app? You know, whatever, that's not a good example. But um, I just like always try to, um, like when I travel just to be like, this is their place. I'm a visitor, I'm a guest. I, I guess the, the example that comes to mind is like surfing down in Mexico. Like I'm in their land, like playing, recreating, having a good time, but like really understanding my place and not trying to bring this energy that, I mean, I don't want to sound like preachy or cl- cliche or whatever, but a lot of the times 
us Americans are known for being like very boisterous, very like loud people. Maybe um, we, I mean, if you travel, if you have traveled, you know, this, that like people kind of make fun of Americans. Yeah. We're, we don't have like great reputation abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just representing like yourself in a different way. And I think people are kind of like, Oh, like you, you actually have like a nuanced perspective on politics over there. Like, Oh, that's interesting. Cause from, from over here, like the U S is so secluded that, um, we think we're kind of the center of the world when really we're on the periphery and everything else is going on uh, yeah. without us. But that's a good, yeah, I'm <laughs> glad we're talking about this too. Cause I think that was one of the main things that I took away from it too, because it was like, everything was kind of a struggle for Willis and I at first. And it took a big realization on our part to like come to that understanding of like, Oh, things are harder for us right now because we're comparing everything that we're experiencing to how we've experienced life in the past in America. And that is such a, that's such a toxic mindset to have, like, cause that creates this concept of like us and then everybody else. And if things aren't going on everywhere else, like they are for us, that's different. And that's a red flag, which is so, so, so wrong. Like absolutely just backwards. And and that was like even huge- stuff I will say not to cut you off even sorry sorry no I, no, I don't mean to cut you off but um, let me just say real fast like the uh like we'll see something for example like I traveled to Nepal last year and they're doing like their goat ceremonies where they bring down all the goats they slaughter them and they they have this big ceremony where they it's a Hindu thing or they leave trash up in the mountains they have like landfills up there and like I could go over there and find myself being like man why don't they clean up the trash but then you realize like whoa, they like barely have the resources to like make it through the winter, you know, like they're more focused on like literal survival and like their community than they don't have the luxury and the facilities and infrastructure. So it's easy to judge or to like try and place negative judgment on other cultures for how they do things, whether it's um, how they slaughter animals or how they pollute their earth or whatever. But it's like not trying to push that over there, like really understanding their perspective and like why things are happening. So yeah, keep going. Yeah. And just understanding that people have different, different starting points too, and different access to different resources and like cultures, any culture around the world is developed, developed from years and years and years and years and years of people gathering and doing things in certain ways and smart people coming and, and innovating and, and building and like coming together and forming community. And, and a lot of cultures emphasize different things. Like, whereas like Willis touched on, they emphasize um, like relationships and family and being close to one another and doing whatever it takes to make sure that they can have time in their days to form human connections with other people. And so it's like, that's their emphasis there. And so in a lot of ways you could look at that and be like, Oh, well, there's not innovation in like this technology or there's not infrastructure like we have here. They don't work hard. Yeah. yeah. Like they don't work harder. They just like hang out all the time. And it's like, maybe from some perspectives, but also somebody could look at our culture and be like, you guys are so backwards, like so backwards. Like you have all this science and all this technology and all of these like quote unquote, (laughs) yeah, very fat too, (laughs) but like quote unquote, like innovations, important things or like whatever. Yeah. Whereas, but you know, I mean, look at the the divorce rate, look at the, (laughs) yeah, there's just, I guess all of this suicide, depression. Yeah. All of it. All of this ranting comes back to the essential point of like, live and let live essentially. And just like, if you go somewhere else, understand that it came from a collection of experiences and history and people that you had nothing to do with. And you, and and so like, it just is what it is. And so you're there to experience and learn and observe without being like, Oh, well, this is different than, than what I'm used to. And what I'm used to is what's right. Because I don't think that's a very healthy outlook to have on the world. And I think that that will make your world very small and it will, it'll make it difficult for you to have uh, expansive experiences when you go anywhere else, because you're looking at it through a very narrow, narrow perspective, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, it was like Willis talked about before that reverse culture shock of like feeling all of that, going through that whole evolution and then kind of coming back and then just being right back into the hustle and bustle of like the nine to five, the, the people valuing uh, monetary things and like tangible physical things and just like wealth and all of this, all of this nonsense that everybody's wrapped up in here and feeling like we're in the middle of that and wanting to just like shake people and be like, how can you not understand that? You know, like we just learned all of this and saw this and this and that blah, 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 blah. And, but then also feeling like we were the odd ones out for having that, um, 
perspective. And in a lot of ways we were because we did have the opportunity to go be somewhere else for an entire year and go through all the evolutions of realizations that we were having. But it became very frustrating and very isolating to come back and feel like that was a very foreign concept that was like really central to our new belief system based on our experience. But it was very isolating coming back and difficult to jump back into into this this world. Well, it's just, it's one of those things is I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to perception, right? Like the way, the way we looked at the culture, the way people look at Americans when we're traveling, I had people I'd run into traveling who thought I was Australian because they thought I was cool and like, wasn't like a typical snobby American, right? It's like at the end of the day, everything's comes down to perception, right? So it's like whether or not you could take yourself out of that and look at things objectively, right? And I think that's, that's really, really hard to do, right? Um, and sometimes it takes a little bit of, of reframing, right? Or thinking like, that's what got me through the hard days sometimes, right? Like, oh, oh my gosh, like I got to go do this today. Well, like, no, oh, I get to do this. I get to hang out with these kids. I get to do all this awesome stuff. You know, like that was cool. And one of the things I think was most powerful for me in Guatemala, I literally remember like we went out, sorry, I'm kind of just going on a story here, but this came to mind and it's a good one. Um, Matt and I went out for uh, Christmas um, and you know, these kids are lit- literal, like they're orphans. They don't, they don't have anything. They, these kids have maybe a shirt, maybe, maybe a pair of pants that they're sharing with other people in their section. Right. And so we had Christmas day mass. And so after Christmas day mass, we were going to go through the town, this little town with dirt roads and all this kind of stuff, handing out some gifts to less fortunate people in the community. Right. And I remember thinking like less fortunate less fortunate people in the community. Like, are we really saying that? Like these kids are orphans right here. Like this is about as less fortunate as it gets. Right. And so we go back to our sections, right. And these kids, they literally start going inside their lockers and they start pulling out their toys that they don't want. They start literally pulling out their shirts. Some of these kids had like two pairs of shirts and they would pull one out and they wanted to donate it to these people. Right. And so we go out, we're, we're literally, we're going out in the the middle of nowhere. I mean, we're like in this like rural kind of farm town in the hills of Guatemala, dirt road and everything. We walk into these people's houses who are living in the community. And I understood these people are living in literally a, a, a 10 by 10 foot tin shack. There's eight people living in the shack. The middle of it, it's, it's a dirt floor. It's got a, a fireplace in the middle where they cook their food. Right. And that's when I actually understood the power of perception, right? Because here in my mind, I'm thinking the whole time, like, oh, these kids at MPH, you know, they're the ones who who are so less fortunate and all this kind of stuff. And it took that experience for me to realize, too, they're not even the less fortunate ones. They're, they're fortunate to have the opportunity to go to that school and live there at MPH because they've got some frame of, of normality, right? But these these kids who are living out in the dirt in the fields, they're literally working their asses off just so they can get food. Right. And at the same time, I literally remember walking into these places and these people offering me food. And it's like, mm-hmm. dude, you don't, you don't have any food to offer me. Like mm-hmm. keep that for yourself, but they don't, that's, that's just the way the culture is there, you know? And it it was one of those things that was just so mind blowing to me. I mean, it completely changed my life and the way I look at things. Right. It's like, just that like that element of selfishness or me, me, me that I think we get sometimes like in a, don't mean to go on a rant here, like a capitalistic system or whatever you, you would call it, you know, like you, you don't have that there. You can't afford to have it there and you prioritize human connection because that's what's got your back at the end of the day, you know, and that's totally the, yeah, the amount of generosity and gratitude too, that I experienced from that culture was just overwhelming honestly i mean will has just told a good story of it too but like i remember multiple times we you know we each worked with a section of boys so like my section was like the 11 through 14 year olds willis had the section right above me so that's those are the groups that we would hang out with at night and i remember like when it would be a certain person's birthday uh specifically one time i remember a kid oliver it was his birthday and so and then, but there were also shop classes within the orphanage so you could learn how to like do a trade after school basically and one of the trades uh, it was like the bakery. So you learn, you can make bread, you can make all types of different cakes, like different stuff like that. And so one of the kids who was, you know, learning at the, at the bakery after school, 
had baked Oliver a cake for his birthday to like eat in section uh, and just give it to him in section, sing happy birthday, like do the whole thing. Cause Oliver didn't have any other family in that section. No one to really celebrate with. No one to even really acknowledge that it was his birthday. Um, and so the kid brought him this cake and everyone's like gathered around him, waiting for him to blow out the single candle on it. And without any type of, Oliver just starts cutting it up and handing it out to every single kid in the section. There's like 20 kids in the section. And like without even noticing, he had given out all of the pieces without giving a piece for himself. Without even, and he didn't even care. He just wanted all of his friends to be around and he wanted to cut up the cake for everybody and let them all experience it together. And, and just what was important to him was that, you know, his friend even took the time to think of him and bake him this cake. And then the first thing that he wanted to do was share it with everybody and share that experience with everybody. And that was just, it's like it it can't not just send you on an emotional roller coaster to go there from the perspectives that Willis and I have had our entire lives of being, you know, pretty relatively, I mean, not even relatively, very privileged throughout our entire life and seeing kids from, from what our perspective was, wow, you guys are in a really tough, unfortunate, difficult situation. And the very first things that you choose to do are not selfishness, not like it's all love. It's all gratitude. It's all. And so it was just, that had such a monumental impact on me. And then it also rattled my world because it was like, if, if that 14 year old boy can have that level, that um, powerful of a perspective and that level of generosity and gratitude from his starting position in life, why the hell can I not have that? You know what I mean? And so then it just makes it, it kind of, shifts that perspective in your mind and i think that's a very important thing to have just in the back of your mind as you kind of navigate your own life just because uh, i mean we're just we should be lucky and grateful just to be here and to be alive and to be able to have conversations and connect with people and that's what's really important honestly and so I don't know. Now we're all ranting, <laughs> but this this whole topic and conversation and and this time of my life where we spent in Guatemala was just very impactful to me, and I took a lot away from it. So it's it's easy for me to get all fired up and passionate about it and and talk for an extent extended amount of time. <laughs> those are awesome stories, both of you guys. So thanks for sharing those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's crazy living them. Yeah. yeah. So does it, uh, do you guys keep in touch with any of the kids that are from the orphanage? A few. Yeah. Here and there. Um, that was kind of the, one of the weird things about the, the reverse culture shock as well as I came back to, to California and, you know, I was still getting, uh, like Facebook messages from a bunch of these kids, you know, who I was living with, you know, and it was just, it was, it was weird. You know, it was like, I'm talking to like 50 kids right now, like, and they're all texting me all the time. And they just live in this world that is so secluded from where I'm at, you know? And like, I remember I'd send them pictures sometimes or something and I would just be in my house, like on my couch. And they're like, oh my gosh, your house is so nice. Like all this kind of stuff, you know, it's just another one of those things too. You just, you really don't realize how lucky you are, like until you have an experience like that, you know? And, um, yeah. I forget what the original question even was, but if we still keep in touch, how, yeah, if you still keep in touch, no, you answered it. Um, Matthew told the story of being in the bar in Guatemala when the drunk guy said, either you're building your own dream or you're building someone else's. And sorry, I I know that was like such a huge story for you, but I've literally told that story to some of my friends, like, and even my girlfriend since then, I'm like, my buddy was at a bar in Guatemala (laughs) and this guy said this thing and it, kind of changed i mean you guys i want to ask both of you how the experience in guatemala i mean you've been talking about how it shifted your perception uh willis and matthew you've talked about in the past but how did that kind of change your trajectory for what you've been doing since then yeah i mean i think uh i don't know i think at least for me it's one of those things as to where it's like i i now make it a a huge priority in my life to give back um, now whether that's, you know, connecting people or, or just helping people out in little ways that I can, or making small donations here and there to certain places. Um, I think 
it, it really like shone a light on how important giving back is to me. And that's something that I'll hold with me the rest of my life and, and just being able to pay it forward, you know? Um, because I think that's the thing too, is like, you know, I wouldn't have even been able to go down there if, 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 if I wasn't so privileged to have my family support me go down there, you know? So it's like, we all stand on the the shoulders of each other. Right. And mm-hmm. I don't know, just the, the idea of being able to like to pay it forward is just, it's really cool to me. That's, I, think, I love that. Yeah. I think for me, a big thing that I took away from it was just, I think it opened up our world in a large way. And so I think the concept of like not being, afraid to live how you want to how you want to live or how you think you should live and not feeling pressures from how other people are doing things um, and feeling like that needs to apply to your life just because most people are doing and because I think you know it's easy for your world to feel very small is if you're like kind of evolving in groups who are all doing very similar things on the same trajectory of life and so like that, and that's not wrong, right? Like that's not the wrong, like go to college, get a good job, work in the nine to five corporate office world. Like that's not a bad life at all. But I think just anytime a large group of people are all doing the same things and, and figuring things out the same way and making money the same way, they all tend to start to think the same way, obviously. So it's like, if those are the only circles you're running in, chances are you probably develop this mindset of like, oh, this is this is kind of like the right way to live. And I think going to Guatemala and just experiencing that there's a million different ways to live and people are doing it all over the world and, and they're very happy. And so there's a million different ways to live. There's a million different paths that you can choose. And so you might as well do what you feel and think is right and what's going to make you happy because um, you can and the world's big and there's a lot to be seen out there and a lot that we don't know. And just because, you know, Fred from accounting is telling you that you gotta, (laughs) you gotta get your paycheck every two weeks and show up nine to five and keep working the same job until you can, you know, all of that. It's just, there's, there's many, many ways to live your life. And so I think that you should look internally instead of externally for those answers. And I think going to Guatemala really gave us the time and space to do that. I agree wholeheartedly. And that's one of those things that's, it's hard to do, right? Especially when you're living in a bubble and you've got, you know, 10, 15 friends all kind of doing the same thing. And I think that's why it was so weird when we even went to Guatemala in the first place, right? Is everyone's like, dude, where did that come from? That's out of left field. Like, why are you doing that? Right. And it's like, it's crazy too, because it felt judgy sometimes. It's like, people are judging you off of these decisions you're making and all that kind of stuff. And going down to Guatemala was one of those things that really made me realize like, no dude, like this is my life. Like I get to do whatever makes me happy, not whatever you think is cool or whatever you think the, the next step up the ladder should be like, no, you shouldn't live your life like that. You know, you should be able to live your life how you want to and do what makes you happy. You know? And I mean, Guatemala just definitely broke that wide open for me, I think. I love it. And I always, I'd love to talk about mental health on my podcast for sure. Um, and just not worrying about other people's judgment is like a huge element of our mental health on social media. We see the highlight reels of everybody else. And then we're just like, well, right now I'm grinding on a video and I'm stuck for two hours on something. I, you know, this is brutal compared to so-and-so who's traveling and doing photography or whatever. Um, so that's a that's a powerful lesson to learn, Matthew. I love what you just said about just being able to, and both of you guys, what you just said about being able to live on your own terms without the influence of others. I think that leads to connection with what your true purpose is, your soul, what you really want to do with your life. Um, I actually had a similar experience in going to Europe when I just realized like, oh, in other countries, they stay in school until they're in their late 20s. They really don't know what they're going to do professionally, often until they're 30 years old or older. And in the US, it's like, oh, at least in my the circles that I was in, it's like, oh, you're 24 without like a full-time job, like you loser, you know, what are you doing mm-hmm. with traveling? And yeah. I was I was running a car detail business and people are judging me for various things. And um, looking back on it, it's like, it's hilarious, you know, because it's, why would someone else care about what you're doing with your life? But there's something unhappy that we're themselves. wired with. Yeah. I think anytime it's you're, not, it's usually their problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think anytime you're making decisions 
from a place of, oh, I wonder how this will be perceived by other people. Or like, if you find yourself doing something because you think it'll look good to someone that's important to you, like that's when you should check yourself and, and be like, well, what do I, what do I think about this? What do I think about my actions or what do I think about my decisions? Um, and just also another, another thing that I definitely took away from Guatemala and something that is kind of a, I feel like a resounding theme on the symphony podcast, at least in some, some ways is just the concept of doing things that are difficult or doing things that are outside of your comfort zone and how that can just lead to huge growth personally. Um, and so, and, and like, even looking back on our time in Guatemala, I think it's very easy to, to be like, Oh, this is going to be a very expansive opportunity for me. Or a lot of people look at travel like that too, of being like, Oh, I'm going to this place to really go find myself. And I think looking back, a good perspective on that, because I fell into that too. I was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, find myself in Guatemala. I'm going to go through so much growth and like do this stuff. But when you're like, that stuff doesn't just happen. You're not experiencing the growth while you're there, right? You experience the growth when you're unpacking the lessons that you learned while you were there further in the future, right? But like there's importance to just like being there and immersing yourself and not being there with the thought of like, Oh, how am I like, what, what is this adding to my life right now? Or like, how am I growing right now in this moment? Yeah. It's just like, shut yeah, up, yeah, like turn that yeah. off, just be there and live and immerse yourself and, and just, just be, and then you'll unpack lessons. As long as you're like paying attention and keeping an open mind, you will continue to unpack lessons that you took away from that experience for years and years and years for probably as long as you're alive. I still, I mean, I'm sure Willis, you're the same way. Like, I think about Guatemala pretty much every day and I draw comparisons to things that I experience now in my life to lessons that I learned there. And I think that that's something that will continue to happen for as long as I'm, as long as I'm alive. For sure. Beautifully said, beautifully said. I was just going to say something that I just blanked, but uh, what, what you guys got any other uh, things before we wrap up here? No, I mean, I think I, I think that's honestly a pretty good place to leave it at, right? Like, I mean, I think just being like the, the main theme, right? Like being able to, to get out of your comfort zone to push you past who you thought you were, right? Because at the end of the day, growth only happens when you're living life on its edge, right? And if you're not living life on your edge, what are you doing? You're, re- you're regressing, right? Or you're, you're becoming unhappy with yourself. So I think really just being able to to block out uh, the haters, for lack of a better word, and and do your own thing and live your life on your own edge because everyone's got their own different edge and and feel comfortable about where you're living. Uh, I mean, I think that's, I wouldn't say that's a key to life, but I mean, that's, it's, it's important, you know. I'll just, take it. I'll, I think it's a key to life. Yeah. Yeah. being uncomfortable and just living living in the growth zone you know it's really what it is mm-hmm. definitely and exposing yourself to different and new things i think just as a general concept is something that's important um because i think um we've talked about this before on symphony too it just it adds you just become a more rounded person if you can draw from a collection of perspectives and apply it to your own life and i think that's something that you get from just exposing yourself to different and and new things consistently. So I think it's only adding to you as a person if you go into it with the right mindset. Love it. And the, the thing I just spaced out of my mind, now it's back, is something I was going to bring up on the clubhouse call the other day, Matthew. Um, but a lot of being an artist, like creating a path as an artist, this is a little bit less applicable if you don't really identify as a creator, but we all are, we all are creators. So um, it really is applicable. But a lot of people will ask questions to to other more successful artists or creators and be like, you know, how did you develop your personal style? Like, you know, where did you, you know, how did you become unique in some way? And to Matthew's point, it's about going out in life, experiencing things and then coming back and synthesizing and then actually creating your own perspective. I subscribe to the fact if I have kids one day, I'm going to tell them I will pay for you to travel wherever you want for a year, that can be a year of your college. Um, I think there's just so, so much opportunity for growth there. And um, if you do really, if you're able to tell a story about why you're doing something to have a purpose behind it, for me, that's going to be more important for the people that I want to work with or like associate with. It's like, 
okay, I don't really care what your skill set is. I'd rather want to know, like, what are you passionate about and what are you truly interested in? So that's why um, for me traveling and just like seeking experience with the intention of like, of course, you're enjoying the experience, but also how is it going to impact your perspective? And then how can you bring that to your teams and your work or whatever else, your relationships and things like that? That was my little point on that. I think this has been a fantastic conversation. I love talking about traveling and uh, a lot of the stories you guys tell, it's like similar stories happen to me in Nepal or elsewhere. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys um, sharing. Also, I just want to say like, it honestly feels selfish to call like what we did for that year, like any type of service trip or like going somewhere to like do good, <laughs> do good for others. Because I feel like what I feel like, I mean, well, I took so much from those kids. I learned so much from those kids and those experiences that it did not feel like I was there, like helping them, honestly. Like, I feel like I was there and entertained them and we had good times and formed good connections and stuff. But like, I learned monumentally more from them than I think I was able to teach them in my, in my <laughs> like, uh, very low level English classes that I was administering. But just in general, I mean, I think that that's, that comes back to perspective too. I think we, we went there to form to form human connections. And that's definitely what we took away from it. But I also, I mean, I, I learned so much from those kids and in that culture and the people there. And so it's, it feels very selfish and very short-sighted to call it like a service trip or, or anything of the sort. Cause I feel like it, it added to our lives in a, a pretty, a very substantial way. That's pretty awesome. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you had a huge impact on those kids, just knowing you guys and, um, the positive intention that you brought down there. I'm sure they, they all remember you. So, um, that's oh yeah. That's Lots cool. of trips back. I actually the didn't really know much. about this whole trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lifetime dialogue with Guatemala is what it sounds like. Definitely. All right, fellas. Well, it's been a blast and, uh, Willis, thanks for coming on the pod. Thank you for having me, boys. It was a pleasure. Have to run it back one time. When I'm when I'm not 100%. so so rambly. <laughs> no, you no, dude, you were not rambly at all. You're extremely well spoken and um, just like crushed it for your first podcast. So thank you, man. Yeah, nice job. All right, fellas. Well, till next time, the Symphony Co. is where you can find us. We're doing an email newsletter. We're doing clubhouse calls, Instagram. We're kind of just trying to involve more people in the community. I'm, I'm most fired up about the clubhouse stuff. So Willis, you got to join us on clubhouse. One of these nights, gotcha. we just pick a topic similar to the podcast, but um, kind of a theme for a conversation. And instead of two or three of us, there's eight or 10 or more. And we just share perspectives with the same goal to just lift each other up and grow through, grow through each other's experience. So, yep. Cheers guys. Thanks a lot. Cheers boys. Peace. Peace.